Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Serial Sunday. Um, today's serial killer, lost my train of thought. Um, today's serial killer is, like I said, um, in a live the other day. I think it was Friday. Um, is a woman. Um, I got rec- or I got recommended her. I think it was Lily Powell. I think that was who recommended her to me. Um, she commented on a post about, like, recommending serial killers to me. And so I was looking up all the ones that everybody recommended to me. And I think that I had researched this girl (laughs) before. Um, but I didn't remember a lot of this stuff. So, um, this week is Amelia Dyer. And I'm just going to preface this by saying that there is going to be talk of killing babies. So if you're sensitive to that subject, just don't watch this. (laughs) Um, So Amelia Dyer um, was born Amelia Elizabeth Hobley in 1936. And she was the youngest of five children. She had three brothers, Thomas, James, and William, and then a sister, Anne. Um, they lived in a small village called Pyle Marsh, which was just outside of Bristol, England. Um, Amelia learned to read and write at a young age, and she developed a love for poetry and literature. And so her parents kind of thought that maybe she was going to take that somewhere in life. Spoiler alert, she did not. Um, her childhood was very flawed, though, by her mother's mental illness, which was caused supposedly was caused by typhus which was an infection caused by like infected fleas mites or lice um and so she witnessed a lot of her mother's violent fits and then her mother died in 1848 and Amelia like I said witnessed her mother go through all of these like violent fits that she would have all the time and until her mom died so After her mother's passing, she kind of became estranged um, from her brothers. And then her father died, which made it even worse. Her father died in 1859. Um, And her father was actually a... He was in in a business to do with shoes. And then after the father passed, um, Thomas took over the family business. So shortly after all of this, after her mother's passing, after her father's passing, after all this... Amelia moved into um, lodgings in Trinity Street, Bristol. And while she was there, she met George Thomas, who would become her future husband. He was 59 at the time, and she was 24. But when they got married, they both lied about their age. He took 11 years off of him, which would have made him 48, and she added six years to hers, which made her 30. So there was only like there was a smaller age gap, but really there was a 35-year age gap between the two of them. So, like, yeah, that's ick. <laughs> I mean, I guess age is just a number. Like, you do what you want, but whatever. Um, so, after she married George, she began training as a nurse. However, what she learned was not exactly moral. Let's just put it that way. Um, she learned that she could provide her home as lodging for pregnant women who had either conceived illegitimately or just were single and didn't have means to take care of the baby. 
Um, so she figured out that she could provide her home to these women as lodging to like help keep them safe and stuff. And then she would farm the babies out for adoption. Like it's like a puppy mill only for babies. Like that's just, that's just messed up. Um, so then she also figured out that she could also let them die of neglect or malnutrition, which she learned from a fellow midwife. Her name was Ellen Dane. And they would also give the babies what they called the mother's friend, quote unquote, which was a syrup that contained opium. That's, that's just messed up. Super messed up. Um, so they would keep some babies in a continued state of narcosis because of this mother's friend. Um, so they would oppose food and they would either die of starvation or I guess, yeah, they would just die of starvation because they would oppose food. <laughs> um, so the coroner would just label the death as starvation. They didn't look into it further because the babies were unwanted anyway. So they didn't check it out. They didn't like look into it further. So this world was opened up to her by, like I said previously, Ellen Dane. However, she had to quit nursing due to the birth of her daughter. So her and George had a daughter. They named her Ellen Thomas. She named her after Ellen Dane, which is just super messed up, but whatever. So then in 1869, her husband, George, died, and then she was desperate for an income. She was very keen on making money from baby farming. Apparently, she made a good dollar from that. I don't really know. She started advertising her home as a safe place for expecting or unwed women. And she would also, like, advertise it that she would, um, that she was a nurse and that she would take care of the babies in return for a substantial payment. She assured clients that she was respectable and married and would provide a safe and loving home to the child. Wrong. So then in 1872, Amelia married William Dyer, and then they had two children together, Mary Ann, who they called Polly, I don't know why, but they called her Polly, and then William Samuel. However, shortly after the marriage, Amelia ended up leaving William. So at some point in her career of baby farming, she decided to just forget the expense and inconvenience of letting the children die of starvation, and she would just murder them immediately after getting paid. That's so wrong. So this allowed her to pocket most or all of the adoption fee. She was able to elude police for quite a while. However, in 1879, she was eventually caught because a doctor got suspicious about the number of child deaths that had been happening under her care and he was called for a lot of those deaths so he got a little suspicious um she was not convicted of manslaughter however but she was sentenced to six months hard labor for neglect what i realized that this was in the 1800s but like come on so upon her release she attempted to resume her nursing career but she had several stints in mental hospitals due to her alleged mental instability and suicidal tendencies. 
they couldn't really like prove that she had a mental illness I guess I don't know they they ran tests on her and stuff but they couldn't tell whether or not she had one she would just like fake these like mental spells all the time I don't know so she wanted to disappear and her knowledge from being a former asylum nurse kind of meant she knew how to behave to ensure a comfortable existence as an inmate in an asylum so she began abusing alcohol and opium-based products during her career as a baby farmer and they believed that her mental state was kind of due to her substance abuse so in 1890 she cared for the illegitimate baby of a governess and when the governess returned to visit the child she was immediately suspicious and looked for her baby's birthmark and it was not present it was like on one of its hips and it was not there so like she got a little suspicious. she's like this ain't my baby where my baby at so the suspicious governess and authorities led to dire faking a breakdown so she at one point drank two bottles of I don't, I'm probably not going to pronounce this word right, but it's laudanum. So it's a solution containing about 10% powdered opium by weight. And she drank two bottles of this. I don't know how big the bottles were, but she drank two bottles. Not good. But because of her previous abuse of opium products, she didn't, she kind of built up a tolerance to it. And she survived. Um, so then she returned to baby farming after like her stint in the mental hospital. She returned to baby farming and murder. However, she realized the recklessness of involving doctors to like issue a death certificate. So she began just disposing of the bodies on her own. Cause like that's, that's not messed up. So the, the <laughs> words are hard. The precarious nature and extent of her activities again, kind of started to attract unwanted attention from authorities as well as other people like the people, the women that, um, she would get the babies from, they kind of were like, okay, where's my baby? Like, you haven't told me anything about how my baby's doing. And when she first started doing this, she like told the mothers that she would keep them up to date on how the babies were doing. And she just never did. So a lot of the women were curious as to like, what's going on with their babies. So her and her family moved frequently, like very, very, very often. Um, they moved to different towns, moved to different cities to escape suspicion and kind of regain anonymity. And she used several different aliases while she was doing this. Like every town or city that she moved to, she would use a different name. Um, in 1893, she was discharged from her final committal into Somerset and Bath Lunatic Asylum near Wells. Unlike some of her previous breakdowns, this one had been her worst experience and she never entered another asylum again. I guess it was just the, the staff was not a fit for her, I guess. So two years later, she moved to Caversham, Berkshire, accompanied by a woman named Jane Smith, also known as Granny. I don't know. Um, so Dyer insisted that Jane call her mother to present a caring mother-daughter image to women handing over their children. Soon after moving to Caversham, they moved to 45 Kensington Road in Reading, Berkshire. And then in January of 1896, Evelina Marmon, she was a 25-year-old barmaid, 
she gave birth to an illegitimate child and she was searching for offers of adoption. And so she had posted an ad in the miscellaneous section of the Bristol Times and Mirror newspaper. It read, and I quote, wanted respectable woman to take a young child. And then next to her own advertisement was actually an advertisement from Amelia Dyer, but it read like from a woman named Mrs. Harding and it read married couple with no family would adopt a healthy child. That's sketchy. So she contacted Mrs. Harding and got a reply from Dyer that said, quote, I should be glad to have a dear baby girl, one I could bring up and call my own. We are plain homely people in fairly good circumstances. I don't want a child for money's sake, but the company and home comfort and my husband and myself are dearly fond of children. I have no child of my own. A child with me will have a good home and a mother's love, end quote. Yeah, no, it will not. <laughs> so Evelina wanted to kind of pay more of like a weekly fee that was more affordable to her. But Mrs. Harding insisted on the one-time pay payment of 10 pounds. And at the time, it was about equivalent to like 14 American dollars. Um, Evelina was in dire, like in like dire circumstances. So she really had no choice. So she agreed to pay the 10 pounds. Uh, she and Dyer met and she was surprised by her age and her, she said, stocky appearance. Like she must have been, she must have been a bigger, bigger gal, which... Stocky technically, like, normally means, like, built. So, like, that's creepy. But she gave her daughter... Her daughter's name was Doris, by the way. Um, so, she gave her daughter Doris to Amelia. Wait, hold on. Mrs. Harding. And also the clothes that she had for her and then the payment. So Dyer lied to Evelina about where she was going. She wrote her one time that all was well and Evelina never heard from her again. She instead went to her daughter's house, found some white tape that was used for like dressmaking and then tied it around the baby's neck and strangled it. How do you strangle a baby? How? I just, I can't even, I can't, mm -mm, no, I can't even fathom it. So, the next day, another child was taken, and it was a 13-month-old boy. And for some reason, I didn't write down his name. Um, so, she used the same tape that she used on Doris's neck, used the same tape, and strangled the 13-month-old boy. And then, on the... 2nd of April, she traveled to Reading, and then at a secluded spot near a dam at Caversham Lock, she wrapped the bodies in a carpet bag and forced them through the railings into the River Thames. Just like, bye. You're terrible. So, unbeknownst to her, unbeknownst to Dyer, in March of 1896, a package was discovered floating in the river by a bargeman. It was discovered to be the body of a baby girl, later identified as Helena Fry. The package was not weighted, like it wasn't weighed down enough by Amelia, and so it didn't like sink, it just floated to the surface, and it was found. So there was a small like, like police force available in reading, and Detective Constable Anderson found a label from Temple Mead Station in Bristol and used microscopic analysis, which I wouldn't have assumed they had back then, but that's what it told me. 
and he used microscopic analysis of the wrapping paper to find a faintly legible name and an address, and it was to Mrs. Thomas, which would have been her name when she was married to George Thomas. So the evidence was enough to lead the police to Dyer, but they still had no evidence to directly link her to any of the crimes. So they placed her under, um, they placed her home under surveillance and they knew that she would flee if she knew that she was like under suspicion. So they used a young woman as a decoy. So they were going to have her pretend to be a mother and kind of set up a meeting with Dyer to set up the adoption can't really say process because there was really no process it was just like here's my baby here's your money bye there was really no process but that was their plan was to have this woman just be a decoy so that was the way that was their plan to kind of catch Dyer in the act and like catch her doing what she does and to kind of figure out her business activities so Dyer was expecting her new client, who was the decoy, but instead, she found police at her doorstep. There was nowhere to run at this point. So on April 3rd of 1896, they raided her home, and they were overwhelmed with the smell of human decomposition, but they found no human remains in her house, which I found weird, but whatever. They did, however, find a multitude of other evidence that included the white tape that she used to strangle the babies, Telegrams that showed adoption arrangement arrangements, pawn tickets for children's clothing, receipts for advertisements, and letters from several mothers inquiring about the well-being of their children that they had given to Dyer. So they arrested her the next day and charged her with murder. They also charged her son-in-law, Arthur Palmer, so he was the one married to her daughter Marianne, who they called Polly. Um, so they charged her son-in-law as an accessory. Throughout April, they scoured the Thames River and found six more bodies, including Dyer's latest victims, Doris Marmon and Harry Simmons. That was the 13-month-old boy that I talked about. Each of the babies had been strangled with the same white tape that matched the tape that they found in her house. And so she later told police, quote, that's how you could tell it was one of mine, end quote. Like, you just, you, you just proud of this? That's sick. <laughs> So, 11 days after handing her daughter over to Dyer, Evelina Marmon had to identify her daughter's remains. That's really sad. So, at the inquest into the deaths in early May, no evidence was found that linked Mary Ann, who is her daughter, and then Arthur Palmer, her daughter's husband, her son-in-law, to the murders or helping with the murders. And Arthur was discharged as a result of a confession made by Dyer. However, her daughter would still stand trial. So the confession that I'm going to read her confession, but they kept it the way that like she wrote it and she didn't use punctuation. She didn't spell correctly. Obviously, you won't be able to tell that from me reading it to you, but she didn't use very good punctuation at all. So it's kind of just one big run on sentence, but I'm going to read it anyway. So this was on April 16th of 1896. This is her confession. So quote, Sir, will you kindly grant me the favor of presenting this to the magistrates on Sunday the 18th? In instead, I have made this statement out, for I may not have the opportunity, then I must relive, relieve my mind. I 
do know and feel my days are numbered on this earth, but I do feel it is an awful thing drawing innocent people into trouble. I do know I should have to answer before my maker in heaven for the awful crimes I have committed, but as God Almighty is my judge in heaven and on earth, neither my daughter Marion Palmer nor her husband Alfred Ernest Palmer... I do most solemnly declare that neither of them had anything at all to do with it. They never knew I contemplated doing such a wicked thing until it was too late. I am speaking the truth and nothing but the truth as I hope to be forgiven. I and I alone must stand before my maker in heaven to answer it all. Witness my hand, Amelia Dyer. End quote. That was really hard to read with no punctuation, by the way. Like, it was bad. So on May 22nd of 1896, Dyer appeared at the Old Bailey. It's like the central criminal court in England and Wales. And she pleaded guilty to only one murder. And that was the murder of Doris Harmon or Marmon. I think it was Marmon. Um, so her family had testified at her trial that they had, that they had began growing suspicious of her activities, but they just like you were suspicious, but you just didn't do anything. Okay, whatever. And it appeared during court that she had barely escaped discovery on several different occasions. Like somehow she didn't get caught by the police on several different occasions. Um, there was witness testimony from a man who had witnessed her dispose of the two bodies at Caversham Lock. So that was Doris and um, Harry was the other one, I think. And her daughter had also given evidence that pretty much guaranteed her conviction. So her only defense during her whole entire trial was just an insanity plea because of all of her stints in mental hospitals. She had been committed twice to asylums in Bristol, but the prosecution um, argued that her displays of insanity had been a ruse to avoid suspicion. So both instances, instances she committed herself had been times where Dyer was concerned that she had been found out, she had been discovered, and her crimes had been exposed. So that was kind of what brought on both of her stints in mental hospitals. So it literally only took the jury four and a half minutes to find her guilty, and they sentenced her to be hanged. She spent three weeks in a condemned cell, and she filled five exercise books with her last true and only confession. Well, what was the other thing? She was visited the night before her execution by the prison chaplain, who's like a priest. Um, he asked if she had anything to confess, and she gave him the books and said, isn't this enough? So she was subpoenaed to appear as a witness in her daughter's trial because her daughter was still going to stand trial, unlike the son-in-law. So she was subpoenaed to act as a witness in her daughter's trial, but the date was a week after her execution date. So it was ruled that Dyer was dead, like already dead or legally dead when she was sentenced and that her evidence would be inadmissible in court for her daughter's trial. So Dyer was hanged by James Billington at Newgate Prison on Wednesday, June 10th of 1896 at 9 a.m. sharp. She was asked if she had anything to say when, like, before they hang her. They were like, do you have any last words? And she said, I have nothing to say. Really? You don't have anything to say? You don't have anything to say for yourself? So, yeah. So she was, she died in... It was 1836 to 1896, so she was 60 years old. Yeah, she was 60 years old when she died. Which, I mean, a lot of serial killers die younger. So, I mean, she was she was a lot older. And, I mean, she didn't sit on death row for, like, 25 years. So, I mean, there's that. It was, like, three weeks or some crap like that. I don't know. But, anyway, that was Amelia Dyer. She is the baby killer, which I just find awful. Like, how do you strangle a baby? And like with tape, 
I mean, to strangle a baby with anything is just sick to me. But like, ugh. And she was like, and that's how you know it's mine. Like, excuse you. So like, if you ever read a weird ad in a paper that says that she, some girl's looking for a child, don't do it. Because it's probably going to be like Amelia Dyer and she's probably going to kill your baby. So just don't do it. Just, just stop. Just don't do it. Just keep your baby. Just keep it. <laughs> so anyway, guys, that is it for episode three. Um, that was Amelia Dyer. She's, she's just, she was a sicko. Just, yuck. Icky. Um, so yeah, that concludes episode three of Serial Sunday. And we will be back. Well, I will be back. We, there's no we, it's just me. That's all you get. I will be back next Sunday at 7 o'clock with a new one. So, tune in. Bye, guys.